1: All right, welcome to Pardon the Corruption. Every time I introduce this show, I feel like I have to apologize for the name because this is the best we could do. Uh, joining me today for making his debut appearance, a rookie Andrew Damlin, uh, who covers the 905 amongst other things for Raptors Republic, joins me. Hey, man, what's going on? I'm chilling, man. How are you? I'm just looking at the agenda you have picked here. It's very G League heavy, so let's get into it and not let's not waste people's time as we as we dive into it and. First topic is uh, Watson versus Brisset. Uh, Sorry, Brisset. 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 Like he's a a bagel, like a French baguette. (laughs) Very distinguished, Brisset. Uh, Brisset versus Watson. Uh, Two guys that will probably be vying for some playing time next year. Both are sort of in similar positions where they maybe expect to make a little bit of a dent into the big roster next year. Your thoughts on who's ahead in that likelihood of making that dent?
0: I think Watson is ahead right now because he got minutes in the bubble. Were they meaningful minutes? Not terribly, but never, uh never saw the floor once they got into Orlando. And I think Watson's just three-point potential alone is what's going to give him a chance to get minutes. Like Malcolm Miller last year got chances here and there just because he could supposedly shoot the three. It turns out, I guess he can't. But with Watson, you know, he shot over 40% on seven threes a game in the G league and in the NBA in limited minutes and not the biggest sample size, he still shot over 40% from three. Whereas with percent, he shot under 30% on nearly five threes a game in the G league. So I think that alone, it's kind of similar body types, although Watson's a bit more wiry, um, which is something that, uh, you know, defense is really like, like he's just, he's just versatile like that. So I feel like overall, they think, nurse and co think that Watson is the person that might step into a quasi rotation spot during the season.
1: So, so for people who don't haven't maybe watched 905 a lot, like describe their, their games a little bit and make, make an NBA projection, if you will, for, I know those are always tricky, but maybe for both players, strengths, weaknesses, and NBA projection that, that, that you think is maybe somewhat valid.
0: Now I'm shocked to learn that most people don't watch much 905, but I'm happy to provide a little bit of that scouting report. Um, with Paul Watson, um, the first thing you notice is a really nice three-point stroke. Just very smooth, Six-six, long. Uh, he went to Fresno State, and so did Paul George, and their games are kind of similar in that way. Hopefully, the playoff performances will be a bit better from Paul Watson's side. With Brissette, he's 6'8", 210. So that body type is, is and you know, very athletic. The OG body type strength. That uh, And the thing that he offers that Watson doesn't is consistency with rebounding and getting on the glass. And if the Raptors are going to co- gonna continue to go small, uh, especially in the playoffs, that might be where, you know, where Brissette could shine a bit more than Watson. In terms of uh, otherwise, like Brissette's offensive game, very athletic, can finish around the rim, but the jumper is just is just not terribly reliable. And I'm a little hesitant to give the very technical, like, development analysis. Cause is that really my bread and butter? I'm not sure, but I would watch percent at practice, just take dozens and dozens of threes from the same spot over and over and over again, much like Watson. And just the form itself doesn't, it doesn't seem reliable, not much lift, not much arc. Whereas when Watson's three ball goes in, it doesn't feel like it's lucky. Right? So mm-hmm. I feel like defensively their potential is similar. Offensively Watson can make a three and like Blake Murphy said on your previous episode, he attacks closeouts really well. And they're gonna to try to develop him into someone who could create off the dribble. Uh, what was reported out of the bubble is that Watson really soaks in all the coaching that he's getting, mm. which is obviously something huge. For, and for this you know, 905 development culture, it's something that they've cultivated over several years. And you didn't necessarily hear that about Brissett. That doesn't mean that he's not, some, that he's some sort of malcontent or not listening, but the development trajectory from Watson has been super impressive. And Brissette wasn't always that consistent game to game, especially in the G League when he was getting all the opportunity in the world to fail and, uh, and play through it.
1: Yeah. So I, I remember like at, at one of the Raptors Republic parties, we got to talking and we were talking about uh, Chris Boucher, uh, who maybe is our, is our next topic. But before we get to him, and you mentioned like Chris Boucher is a guy who just does not back down against anybody in the G League. <clears throat> just has no fear whatsoever, doesn't matter who it is, will get up and just, just, you know, stare down anybody. Which of these two has that element
0: in their game more? I mean, I'm not sure. The, obviously, the games are way different, but Nurse said about Boucher when Boucher was in a little slump and he needed to play because guys were injured. He's like, just go out there and make some block, make some energy play happen for you. And then he kind of turned it around. I think it was on a West Coast road trip. I don't think uh, Watson right now could do that. I think Brissette in in, fits and starts can give you energy plays, offensive rebounds, Mm -hmm. extend possessions, dive on the floor. He is a better athlete than Watson right now, stronger, right? So from that side, comparing him to Boucher and an end of the bench guy, maybe Brissette, you know, has that, you know, that grinder, that, you know, you might compare him to maybe Grant Williams on the Celtics, for example, just a guy that played playoff minutes against the Raptors, effective playoff minutes when you thought, who is this guy? He doesn't have much skill. but Because of his, you know, strength and ability to grab a rebound, box guys out, and use that frame as an end-of-the-bench guy, perhaps Brissett could break in over Watson, much like Boucher, did make that energy play, that eye-popping play, like an impact right away with just your your will rather than the skill.
1: Yeah. So, so regarding Boucher, uh, I think we had some sort of high, I, I think a lot of the hopes that were assigned to Chris Boucher were because of the disappointment of Bruno Caboclo. Yeah. And we're like, oh, that guy didn't work out. Here's somebody similar, kind of way better than what we had. Maybe this guy will turn out to be something. And he has been a good bit player whenever he's come into the game. He's never like played terrible. He's always been kind of consistent in whatever he does. It's just that he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. Do you see the Raptor, do you see him being in the Raptors plans even uh, going forward?
0: I don't. And that's someone who's really rooting for him to be a part of their plans. But you ever notice that when he makes a three, it's like hilarious. (laughs) It's like anything, whenever he does something, even if it's successful or unsuccessful, he's like, his body is flying everywhere. Why, Why people in the corner don't wait for him to fly by on his on his like wild closeouts. I'll never understand. Cause how many blocks did he have just like running and throwing his yeah. entire body in a three point shooter. Yeah. Next year, people are gonna be aware of that, right? Yeah. And I don't know how much skill development there's been, the three-point shot is not reliable. That slingshot form, I don't yeah. think ever becomes- But it's unblockable, but it's unblockable. <laughs> it, is, it is unblockable. My shot's a, unblockable too if I shot it like that. I'm six foot six and probably no one could block my shot if I did that too. And he needs forever to set up. And yeah. that's never changing, at least, unless you totally break down his shot and try again. So the guy's useful in energy settings, running the floor, which is definitely something, you know, and. If you you want to have a guy perennially be 8 to 13 minutes a game and give you that energy, then sure, Boucher will provide it for you. But how much better is the G League MVP, the former G League MVP, going to get? You know, ironically, G League MVPs don't really turn into um, NBA, even mainstays. I think the last time I looked at the list, the best G League player all time in terms of becoming an NBA mainstay is a guy by the name of Tim Frazier. I'm not sure if you heard of him. He's played for like uh, the Hornets and the Wizards, I believe, and like he's had an NBA career, but he's Tim Frazier, yeah. You know, so it's like you're probably too good if you're if you're ripping up the G League. It's probably not how you're going to fit in the NBA, and so I, I don't see much of a higher ceiling with Boucher. If you can keep him around as a as a late bench guy, sure, but I don't see him stepping into a major rotation role.
1: All right, all right. Enough of enough of Boucher. Good luck to him. So final uh, final I guess final final statement on him. NBA
0: or Europe next year? For Chris Boucher? Yeah. The Raptors like to hold on to their pieces. I'd say they're going to give him another year. I mean, I'm not sure of the cap machinations, but I would suspect a year from him. Okay. All right, we wanted to talk
1: about experimental G League rules. So the the G League has become this like uh, the sandbox of experimentation that the NBA kind of tries what are some of the latest things they're trying there and, and, and your thoughts on whether we're going to see them actually be adopted into the NBA?
0: Well, I think some might be adopted because the NBA has been open. They've changed some rules, like the 14-second reset on offensive rebounds was initially experimented with in the G League, and they adopted it, and it's only been successful. Um, and one rule that they tried last year that I thought was incredible was one free throw for every shooting foul. You get fouled shooting at two, you shoot one free throw. If it goes in, you get two points. If it, if it misses, you know, it's, it's a live ball. Same with a three pointer. So like now you've turned free throws into an opportunity to get up and check your Twitter and get a bite to eat to now this one free throws worth three points and Mm -hmm. the game just continues so much quicker. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you want to do the math for it, like the expected value is the same for Mm -hmm. every trip to the free throw line, but the pressure is a little bit higher. So perhaps that brings down the, the, the free throw rate and that makes the free throw more suspenseful. And it's just, it makes the game so much faster. So that rule, while people doubt that it'll be implemented because broadcasts like to put in ads during two and free, three free throw attempts, I think it would be incredible for them to put in. And the second one that I know would have universal appeal is what's called the take foul. So whenever, how many times have we seen an NBA game where there's a foul on a potential fast break and was the player, you know, two feet ahead of the last player back and we got to go and review a clear path foul. Yeah. Clear path fouls reviews are the worst thing in the world. I think we can all agree. And second of all, everyone in the building knows that those fouls, regardless of whether they were clear path or not, were intentional. They were to stop the play. They were to give the defense an advantage so they can set up while you inbound and you get one team foul towards the penalty. So when everyone knows what's happening, why can't the most obvious call be made, which is free throws and possession, no review, save time, this is the, I think it's the easiest solution and there's absolutely no downside to it and the G League implemented that and it's been, you know, of a huge success. The, I
1: mean the, the free throw stuff I love because college has that like one and one, right and, and it adds this level of pressure. Now are they thinking of doing that for all free throws or just like non-shooting fouls or
0: how does it work? So for for um, basically any foul before the final two minutes of the game. okay. Uh, so if it's a shooting foul, one and, and go. but if it's a shooting foul in the final two minutes, then it goes back to the traditional okay. NBA okay. rules.
1: I feel that would wreak kind of havoc on like statistics and comparing like statistics going forward to ones that have been in the past. It would kind of throw everything off by a factor where, where some of the comparisons might not be, uh, I guess it would be possible by uh, applying some scale factor, but really it, w- it would make things a little bit different. Do we care about
0: that or, or who cares? I mean, to, yeah, to, to hold back progr- a progressive change <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in favor of tradition, it's like a very baseball type of thing yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, so, and again, like the free throw percentage is going to yeah. be the same. And uh, you know, people don't just use free throw percentage, you know, like effective and true shooting, like that's going to stay the same and be equally valuable. So I think, I think guys would absolutely love it. And there was no complaints from the players either about, um, about it. it's just get the game going. It's just, it's just so much better. It was just funny kind of watching the refs adapt to it. Cause sometimes they would fall asleep. They would forget the rule. Cause yeah, but, uh, but in the end it, it really worked out.
1: Yeah uh the 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 flag what do you you think of the flagrant foul are they are they doing anything about charge block flagrant fouls in the g league that we should be aware of like is there anything planned in that area because i think there's still some work to be done to 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 sort out that uh you know is this is is this guy moving is this guy not because a a lot of the times guys are just like sneaking in and they're getting the benefit of the call when really man it's it's just poor defense and you're relying on the ref making a poor judgment call just just to get the foul
0: I mean, there isn't any specific block charge, you know, advising going on, but, Mm -hmm. but one thing, but you know, you bring up a point where, you know, Reggie Miller will say, listen, the guy was moving. So it's not a charge. I just want to tell everybody that it's not a matter of whether you're moving if it's a charge or not. It's whether you've established legal guarding position. You could be moving laterally or backwards. You could be backing up completely. And if he goes into you, it's still a charge. So, for people watching it, and like you know, these analysts like Weber and Miller. And by the way, I do like Weber, but they don't know the block charge rules, so it is a really difficult call. And it, you know, the, the sliding under it's just such Wait, a bang bang thing. Let's do
1: a live demonstration. If I have position, yep. and the guy's coming, and I kind of move like this, just to like, just to influence, just influence or exaggerate the contact. Is that still a charge?
0: I mean, if you're doing it to exaggerate contact- Well,
1: that's why that's people are doing it. I mean, they're not moving for the hell of it. They're moving because they want a full body on contact. I
0: love, by the way, th- that we're getting into technical refereeing conversations, amazing, first of all. But you establish legal guarding position. Your torso is in front of his torso, okay? Then he makes a move. You move with him. You get hit in the chest, torso area. That's, that's charge. That's, that's the deal. Whether, I mean, if you're exaggerating contact, then it's a defensive foul. If it's not significant. And you, if you're exaggerating contact and you're affecting the offensive player's shot adversely, then it's a defensive foul.
1: Man, in that situation, I will, I'd say I would always side with the offensive player.
0: Agreed. To absolutely agree. Yes, for okay. sure. It's no, like if, a possession if it's... arrow for block charge. They got to experiment with that. Maybe. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's a tough call really. Like yeah. these guys are flying everywhere. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just a unique situation, this block charge, but how many in a game really decide the outcome? There's probably like two of them bang, bang a game. So on average, it all kind of evens out. Like, is anyone really complaining about the officiating for much of the postseason like here and there, but no what are you talking about-, about, man? Are
1: you, are you watching the same games? And I am, I mean, the rappers were about to complain a lot on that OG foul. I mean, that was, that was pretty critical, and, and the well, Celtics got some calls there, but, but let, let, hey, we're, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting, yes, yes, we let's are. Go back. Yes, we let's are. go back on the... Let me, let me let me just move back into the, into the uh, position, and, and let's talk about a guy the Raptors drafted last year, Dewan Hernandez. Uh, you've been following this guy's career. you got the posters <laughs> in your bedroom. What do you got to say about this guy's future?
0: Yeah, I've followed his career in his four games in the G League, I think he played. Look, he had a really impressive summer league last year, and he kind of showed this old school low post footwork and touch around the hoop. That could you demonstrate this footwork? <laughs> it's tough in this little cafeteria that I'm in right now. Perhaps, perhaps in our instructional video when COVID times are over and we can just get into a gym together, uh-huh. we'll do it. But the guy, the guy was demonstrating a, a nice bit of footwork inside, and he was developing that three point shot. the The G League coaches, JAMA, the head coach, were was you know they were excited about his development. The season was really derailed by a bunch by a couple of injuries. Um, and so, you know, you kind of throw it out and go into your second season and you hope he's healthy and you, you start again. Um, I think he would be able to dominate the G League. He's like six ten, super, super strong, super athletic. Mm. And the form itself looks like there's some potential for a three point shot there. So as a second round pick for the Raptors who are incredible at developing guys, it's just it's a wait and see, but you know, in the limited things you saw, I saw some potential there. Uh,
1: NBA projection for people who don't know.
0: NBA be a projection for a second round pick.
1: You got to make an NBA projection. That, yeah, okay. Uh, a, a type of guy that people who don't, who haven't watched him could relate like- Okay, re- okay, re-
0: okay. I'm sorry, an NBA comp you're saying? Okay, Comps, okay. sorry, yeah, 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 That's all right. Um, okay, so a 6'10 guy who posts up. I mean, how many of those guys exist in the NBA right now? Um, Richard Lewis. <laughs> Richard Lewis, he was a dead-eye shooter. Yeah. Uh, let's Oh man put me on the sp- um you know it's like he's trying to be in the mold this is this is laughable obviously but he's trying to be in the mold of Anthony Davis mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an impossible mold to be in but in that he's got this great footwork the handle obviously isn't nearly is, yeah. is it going to be there I got it
1: maybe. but
0: but uh, you can dub it into him to post up much like you can with Davis and but that's kind of going away in the NBA. So who knows?
1: Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Let's, let, let's move on to some like NBA stuff a little bit more away from the G league. Uh, there's okay. some talk about, you know um, well, let's talk about Fred Van Vliet a little bit uh, okay. because I mean, everybody is sort of kind of accepted the fact that the Raptors might give him may offer him 20 million and the Knicks might drive the price up to 22 million. And you're of the belief that, None of that money should be going to Fred Van Vliet. It should be going to Eric, <laughs> Eric,
0: Eric Bledsoe. Is, is okay. That, is, okay. So correct me. Correct me. I mean, we're we're comparing salary numbers, not talent. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to give Fred Van Vliet 22 million, I don't think that's worthwhile. Whereas a four-year, 70 million to Eric Bledsoe, I'm okay with. Remember, Eric Bledsoe is an all de- perennial all defensive player. We know about his fa- playoff failures. But first, let's go back to Fred VanVleet, why I don't think he's worth it. He's got zero in-between game. He doesn't have a floater. For a, for a point guard, that's, it's, it's, it's essential these days to have a floater. You saw you know Jamal Murray in the Western Conference. and yeah. Mike, Mike Conley has his righty floater. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, he, he doesn't have a mid-range game. Now, I don't know if that's the next phase of his development. I guess he's going through his fifth season now. So is that what he's going to work on? perhaps i mean his range is is like he moved it back two three feet which is incredible but he's never shot more than 42 percent from the field in his entire career like how much better is fred van vliet getting right it's like we want pascal to make a leap every single year we want norm to make a leap every year like fred's done this now three four years gotten better and better has he reached his ceiling yet and if he has is that ceiling worth 22 million dollars when Length really bothers him, especially in the playoffs. And when you got to go through the Celtics or Bucks, like you're going to be, fa- and the Sixers, you're going to be facing length all the time. So I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, 17 points a game is, is nice, but the percentages aren't amazing. And but again, I love Fred. I love him. A G league reclamation story, but I don't think he's your, um, you know, he's your backstop franchise point guard.
1: Well, 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 we are getting him as the number two guard. I mean, we're not getting him as like, you know, the starting... for next season oh, for, for next season, at least. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say he, he has expanded his three point range because he does not have an in-between game and people and Tatum and these guys are pushing him out well beyond his comfort zone. And he basically took it back and adopted like a poor man, Steph Curry approach and started bombing away from 30 and had some moderate success, nothing great, but somewhat, I mean, you weren't terribly nervous when he shot those shots. Right. Like I mean, certainly your confidence was increasing as the, the more he took them. So that's a, that's a good thing. But the, I believe he has a, actually not now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I've seen him shoot a mid-range jumper all, all postseason. Uh, no. And, and he does get, it's, it's almost like he has, he gets extreme tunnel vision as soon as he goes underneath like eight feet within an eight feet radius of the rim. Like he basically has, I will finish at the rim. Even, even passing is often limited to just the corners in that situation. So you're, you're of the belief that he needs to expand his mid-range game, offensive game, to realize like true potential, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I imagine Nick Nurse feels the same way, but the floater's got to be there. And with Eric Bledsoe, the guy can run the floor better than Van Vliet, can finish in that in-between area, and he's just a far superior defender. Like If mm. you remember when he signed that extension in the beginning of calendar 2019, everyone was like, this is a bargain. This is a great deal. This is like, he's really proved himself. He's yes. He's flopped in the playoffs. That can't be disregarded, but could he thrive under a different system? The bucks flopped in so many different ways in the playoffs, right? Like Giannis plays 31 minutes a game in the playoffs. You know, that whole system um, depending on like older guys, they are really old to that team. So it wasn't just Bledsoe that failed, although he did fail, but listen, like at that number, I, you could stomach it and you certainly could stomach it oh, yeah. you know, less than two years ago. Yeah. So um, I'm just well, not I mean- comfortable at a five-year deal for, for Fred Van Vliet. I, I would love, you know, I root for the guy, um, but I don't see, I don't see that working out. Well,
1: there's also like this other argument to be made for his resigning. And it's that, well, two arguments. One is that he has his his personality or his influence of in the locker room is something to actually consider as part of any deal you offer him. Um, and the second one uh, is that, I actually forgot the second point completely, just blanked out, I'm just getting old. I, I had a second point in my head and it just, oh yeah, yeah the asset, yeah. So regardless of if you, if you sign him uh, right now to, to a $22 million deal, it's, it's like buying, again, Pardon the comparison, but it's like buying Amazon stock. Like, it's still going to go up. Like, it's not going to go down. So even though he, he's going to be an asset on your books, and if you tie him to a deal, you're probably going to be able to trade him because he's not a guy you will,
0: who's going to rot away on your roster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's is young. And, uh, you know, 22 isn't un, totally unpalatable and certainly not untradeable. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's. I'm not saying trash Van Vliet. Get, you know, not, uh, give give it to Bledsoe. I'm I'm saying it's close. But I, but so um, keep your
1: mind open. So so if Fred Van Vliet walks, you're not you're not heartbroken. You're like, hey man, we have other options. Yeah.
0: Well, that's that's the other thing. Walking for nothing would be a complete disaster. Would I rather sign him for 22 million versus and and uh, or lose and not get a equal caliber starting point guard? No. So. Letting your guys walk for nothing would be a disaster. So between those two options, I think I bite the bullet and and sign up.
1: Okay, so let, let's move on to uh, hometown discounts. I mean, this is, the the concept itself sounds ridiculous because uh, DeMar DeRozan, um, <laughs> uh, the, the whole concept of loyalty has been changed for me with the whole DeMar DeRozan trade, and um, and I can I, I think that trade has forever given in, in at least in my head. A pass to every single player who ever thought of or or, or said, you know what, hometown discounts. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you one because I think. And, and by the way, nothing against. I mean, I love, I love the, the Kawhi Demar trade. I mean, I mean, some commenter in the last video goes like, here Zerar's trashing on Masai. I'm not trashing on Masai, man. I'm just giving you an example on how uh, player loyalty um, is, is, is it does shouldn't exist. Because these guys are in the, in, the, in, the, in the age of their life where they are maximizing their earning potential. And there should be absolutely no reason why they give anybody a single cent less for any reason whatsoever, unless they have some personal stuff going on in the city, which has nothing to do with the team. But this concept of hometown discount seems dumb to me. And the, sorry, the other, the other case where it might make sense is if you're taking less money, so the Raptors can spend that money somewhere else and you can compete for a championship that year. Again, that's a short-term thing. In your view, hometown discounts, is, is, is this even a thing anymore?
0: I mean, it's up to the player completely and no one should hold it against the player for asking for the absolute maximum. But like I was listening to a JJ Redick podcast recently, and he said, people want to talk about, players signing in different places simply for winning. He's like, when you're a free agent, you sign in a certain place for a million reasons. And one of them might include winning. Uh, One of them might include family, you know, your school, the schools Mm -hmm. you want to send your kid to, the Mm -hmm. length of the contract for stability, right? And so, you know, like Tim Duncan would constantly take hometown discounts, but that was on his own volition. It wasn't anyone in San Antonio saying, like I don't think anyone would have in San Antonio would have said, screw you for, t- for not taking a, or p- for pressuring him into taking a hometown discount. It was on him to do it. And it led to multiple titles. Mm-hmm. But the fact is you'd be really silly to take one. I think because nowadays, especially like you said, guys are GMs are willing to trade you at the drop of a hat. Like Isaiah Thomas you If you remember in 2017 for Boston, this guy was, had reached cult status amongst the fan base. Like the, the, the team loved him. He, uh, he was playing through a terrible injury. I believe he had a family tragedy right before a game in, in um, the, the Wizard series, perhaps. because I don't want to misstate it. One of his siblings died, perhaps. Like, and he, he played through it, and everyone loved him. And then Denny Ainge just traded him for Kyrie Irving um, in the, in the offseason, right? So if you're going to be treated that way, then you ought to take care of yourself before you think of providing a team. Now, the, the, the compensating factor would be negotiating no-trade clauses, I think, in terms of loyalty, yeah. right? Uh, and I know Kobe Bryant had a no-trade clause, so they do exist in the CBA. So it is a bit confusing to me because in the NHL, there's a million no-trade clauses in, in contracts. So I wonder if, if that becomes a thing, too, with people wanting more stability. But without the no-trade clause, there's no incentive for a player to stay loyal when the right. team is just going to get rid of yeah. you whenever they want. And
1: I think I think as you as you talk through it, it's much much like when when you and I pick a job between maybe two offers. You, you, you money isn't the only consideration. You might take less money here to go somewhere else. But it, I just feel that uh, for for a player, the, there's so much on the table that I just you know, and, and like chances are that after you retire, you're not going to make this level of money. So I mean, I would I would imagine. that 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 might uh, factor in
0: yeah your career could be over at at the end of your next contract there's just you can just quickly go out of style like roy hibbert's the best player in the nba one year the best defender in the nba and he's out of the league two years later it's things change things evolve there's so much risk involved and if you're going to take a discount it's a it's a it's a big risk but it's something that that the player can decide on his own yeah
1: so uh final point um tv ratings are down uh, which was surprising to me. I mean, I was just like, uh, what, what, what do people have going on that they're not watching the NBA? I mean, it was, it was a
0: bit surprising. Yeah, and uh, TV ratings for the NBA were down. It was the lowest rated World Series of all time on Fox as well. Like, mm-hmm. everyone thought there was going to be a captive audience, uh, including, you know, and I bought that. I figured the ratings, maybe they wouldn't be record-setting, but they would be great. Yeah. Uh, now, they were incredible in Canada, as you can always depend on these days but i don't know people want to ascribe it to the political climate i don't know is that going to stop people from watching basketball maybe i don't know the uh the elections coming up in the states i don't know it's the summer but people aren't doing anything people are cutting the cord that's a yeah. that, you know that's a continuous trend right i mean there's there's a million different um, reasons for it now i wonder if people if like to me watching the bubble it looked awesome um it it, it didn't take away anything in fact like Watching that pickup style thing where where the players became the fans as well on the side, it's a it's a different atmosphere. Intense pickup games where it's just the players are are incredible yeah. to watch. And like when I would go to G League practices, when when the game, when it got to game point or when it got to, you know, later in the game, like you see the people's competitive fires really flowing and that's all internal, that's a really attractive thing too. And by the way, the basketball was incredible in the yeah. bubble. Everyone came in shape. Everyone was ready. The seating games were epic. How many different stories, like Damian Lillard and the Suns going eight and no? And like, it was, it was amazing. So it is, it is puzzling, but like, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what you do about that right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the bubble. I, I liked ev- even the small things that, that existed. Like, for example, like one of my things was that there were no fans on the sidelines. And for whatever yeah. reason, it actually made you focus more on the game. And and one of the things that I've again, old man's are here complaining about things uh, is is like when you go to the game, there's so much distractions. There's like you know, there's some someone's yelling here, the mascots like running around doing things. And here it was just basketball. And you, you 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 it was an immersive experience because of the lack of presence of anything but basketball players.
0: Dude and. Um... Speaking of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old too. I'm, I'm approaching 40 as well. And um, the, they could make, the players could make passes along the baseline that they couldn't necessarily have made with fans right there for one. So the basketball was better. And I've always pined for the FIBA rule when, when the ball is in play, there's no music. So you could hear everything. Now, NBA players kind of pushed back against that. If you remember... Uh, the Warriors played a game in Madison Square Garden where they chose to turn off the music and Draymond Green went insane, saying this is like the worst idea ever. But it is awesome. If you ever go to a FIBA game and there's no music, you can hear them calling out plays. You can hear them jostling. You can hear the squeaks and you're way more focused on the game. Yeah. So like I, I would... I would love that. And I think the bubble brought just about all of that. It was whenever you could hear certain things on the mic, like how how much more did that bring you in? Yeah. It, was, it was awesome yeah. to watch.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would retry. I, I, I'm, are there any experiments from the bubble that you, that you can see like kind of translating to when the NBA returns to actual arenas? A- any small things you would like to see transferred over? O- obviously the fans will be in the first row because of, uh, you know, you got to sell seats and make money, but a- anything else that you would like to see kind of be introduced into normal games?
0: Well what else was it was it was in the bubble that was outside of no fans that was different in terms of the game experience that like that immediately comes to mind i'm trying to think of like what was introduced well, those... I mean,
1: so one of the things that I really liked is how uh, we had a very firsthand view of what the officials are saying. It was almost like in football where, where they announced whatever happened. They announced it to the camera. Right. And, and like it's like an NFL. like the Whatever. First down and 10, you know, penalty, whatever. Yeah, I, I loved that idea. And I want that into it in, because we, we don't need to hear secondhand information from the announcers. I think the more direct we go to the players or the coaches, I think that much better. And I, and I think even maybe something like kind of having like a, and, and I can see why players would, or, or coaches would balk at this, but maybe having a hot mic and, and then airing that more frequently, or, 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 maybe, or maybe having an option when you are watching the game to actually listen through the hot mic, which is just placed like near the scorer's table, right? Like something like that would be awesome.
0: I mean, that'd be, that'd be incredible. Uh, and they, they actually, actually tried to do that um, well, not a hot mic, but like, they used to have the, the coaches mic'd up all the time and the coaches did have microphones on them, yeah. uh, but you're just going to get huge pushback um, from them. And like, understandably so. Yeah. Like, and if you watch those um, mic'd up like melts coming out of those ESPN breaks, like you think to yourself, oh, these coaches don't know what they're talking about. They're just saying like, yeah, like good play. And,
1: well, man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that one because, because uh, having a live mic on the floor And that picking up whatever the court sounds are is no different than the guy sitting courtside hearing the exact same things. So it's not really confidential information. It's already public to the people in the first row. You're just like broadcasting it. So it's not like you're divulging information that
0: you otherwise might not have divulged. I mean, maybe, but what I was going to say is the reason those uh, mic'd up segments are so innocuous is because they have to be, it's essentially been negotiated that way. I'm sure there's, you can't have a coach uh, mic'd up saying, hey, go after that terrible player type of thing. Like, right? Or like, like well, you know well, what I mean?
1: well, all I'm saying is whatever the guy sitting courtside is hearing, however he's hearing it, maybe a mic, whatever it is, that experience can be projected to the, to the TV audience because it's not sensitive information. It's basically already public. It's not WikiLeaks, man. It's just like
0: <laughs> it's true. Listen, I. By the way, I'd be all for. I'd be okay, all for it. Okay. So okay. like, let's like to hear hearing the sounds. Incredible, as close as you can get to the game. Incredible. The angles that they had, by the way, those like rolling, uh, you know, rail cam angles yeah. they had were just yeah. were awesome. There were twenty five robotic cameras, so like the whole experience awesome. was was great viewing. All right, man. I think
1: Andrew, uh, thanks for talking, man, and uh, been a great experience uh (laughs) 905 talk was great um looking forward to that one and one free throws man because i I think
0: that would make my day dude anytime we could talk niche basketball i'm in I, i thanks for having me man